If you're a female SS officer, does that make your sweater puppies German Shepherds? I'm Kevin Leeson. Prison camp arts and crafts kind of makes me glad I don't have a tattoo. I'm Joe Fulgham. Koch is it. I'm Torin Atkinson. Welcome to Caustic Soda. <laughs> Part two of our ongoing series, Evil Dames in History. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, is that what an evil dame sounds like? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a uh, lovely young lady named Ilse Koch. Koch? Yeah, it's probably pronounced with a H in the back of it because she was German. Mm-hmm. She was of German descent. Uh, but uh, she was also a prominent Nazi, an SS officer. At the concentration camp Buchenwald. Oh, you're, you've practiced your CHs for this episode, I hear. I've been watching a lot of Red Skull in, uh, <laughs> in those old 60s cartoons. I think that Ilsa Koch is not going to have any problem qualifying for our Evil Dames in History mm-hmm. series. As, uh, she seemed like a pretty bad dudette. <laughs> Ilsa Koch was born in Dresden, Germany in 1906, the daughter of a factory foreman. So good working class background. Uh, at the age of 15, she entered accountancy school and went on to work as a bookkeeping clerk. Uh-oh. Uh, her evilness woefully underutilized. <laughs> uh, in 1932, she became a member of the Nazi party. So she was an early adopter. In what year? 1932. Okay. So she was on board with Nazism from the get-go. Through some of her friends in the SA and the SS, she met Carl Otto Koch in 1934 and married him two years later. What's the SA? Uh, that's the uh, the brown shirts. Oh, okay. The like, you know, uh, what the 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 heavy hands that the Nazis used right. in the rise to power. Oh, that was the pre SS. Were... Uh, the proto SS. No, they were they were just kind of the militant arm of the Nazi Party. Uh, they were the guys who like smashed all the windows on Kristallnacht. Okay. And they went around yeah. and like uh, did so, in all the Jewish. Businesses. I guess what I'm asking: what's the difference between SA and SS? The SS was, they were like stormtroopers. They were elite. They were like Green Berets. They were the, actually military. Yeah, they were actually military, whereas okay. SA were paramilitary. The, the brown shirts were basically their, their version of the punk skinheads, where you would wear the brown shirt and be just a member of the party and go around causing yeah, they, oh, okay. they were very <laughs> useful in the lead up to gaining power. And then once they gained power, they were sort of kind of, you know, we didn't really need kinda, you anymore. We don't really need you anymore. And you kind of, you're doing more harm than good. So they like arrested and, and executed a bunch of them. Oh, really? They yeah. just give them new uniforms and say, we're changing your A to an S? No, because the head of the SA kind of had a bad attitude about it and was sort of like, Hitler, it's, I made you, I, dude. I think oh, you're I getting a little confused over the SASS Yeah, just because they sound similar doesn't mean they're similar in any way, shape, or form. What? Yeah. Uh, in 1937, one year after they were married... Carl Koch, her husband, was made commandant of Buchenwald Concentration Camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ilsa became an SS Ovzerein, or an overseer of the camp. So she was often on the camp grounds, overseeing prisoner relations and whatnot. Okay. Uh, she was known specifically for riding her horse through camp and whipping and beating prisoners. Anybody who kind of looked at her sideways. Yeah, I heard that she would like dress all scantily and wear tight clothes and parade around and then kind of daring prisoners to look at her. And if they did, then they would 
get their penis whipped or whatever. Yeah, that was definitely another sort of thing that she kind of uh, (laughs) took great joy in. Uh, To call her a sadist, I think, would almost be on the verge of insulting sadists. Oh. (laughs) Because sadists, you know, I mean, they like to inflict pain, but there's not a lot of teasing necessarily going on. Okay, well, I wouldn't know. (laughs) I wouldn't know anything about that. There's an excerpt of testimony by a prisoner at her trial in which she states, in particular, I was asked whether Frau Koch had satisfied her perverse desires with me. She would use a small stick to beat the penis of any prisoner she forced to show it to her. (laughs) Small stick. I could answer no in good conscience. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, she would uh, ride up and down the camp and uh, in in tight-fitting and revealing clothes, trying to get a reaction of the prisoners. And when they reacted, she would have them beaten... uh, in the penis area <laughs> with a among, small stick. With is a this, small stick. Is this going to be our lesser two evils? Would you rather be <laughs> whapped in the penis with a small stick or? <laughs> I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> or a large stick. Yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> you know, whatever turns your crank. Her nickname around the camp was the Witch of Buchenwald or mm. Die Hexe von Buchenwald. Hexa. Yes, I guess we learned in the Bad Books episode that Hexen is German for witch. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it kind of got transposed to the bitch of Buchenwald during mm-hmm. her first trial. Oh, right. the press kind of went. First of many. Oh, witch is good, but bitch is better. We English speakers sure like the onomatopoeia. No, wait. <laughs> What's that word? <laughs> Alliteration? That's it. Yeah. Onomatopoeia yeah. is like kaboom. Oh, yeah. the Nazis were big, all big up in the alliteration world. They loved it. Even amongst SS circles, there's correspondence to uh, that has surfaced over the years that alludes to the fact they were well aware that Carl Koch and his wife were both kind of sadistic and corrupt. And in fact, even during the war, stories were widely spread that Ilsa had had tattooed prisoners killed so that lampshades and other articles could be made from their skin. Mm -hmm. A witness at one of her trials recounted that a handbag was made of human flesh and she took extreme pride in it. Now, this is kind of the big controversy about Ilsa Koch. Yeah. Did she in fact do this or was this kind of uh, an urban legend that gained momentum and then raged out of control? Well, was she the only person that was purported to have lampshades made to human skin or is this the thing that happened? Because I, all I remember when I first heard about this was from Monty Python mm-hmm. because there was some skit where Nazis were trying to be regular upper middle class British people. Okay. Oh yeah. And uh you know, cheerio pip pip. <laughs> and uh and then they would just slide into like totally nazius things like if she opens her big mouth again, it's lampshade time. Shut up. <laughs> well, that's how I heard about this story lamp- about the lampshade, lampshade. kind of became uh in the post-war era became a bit of a you know, one of the big things that everybody was hanging her hat on about how evil the Nazis were. Yeah. Right? That this was kind of uh, this story about Ilsa Koch went raged way out of proportion. Did we say it went fight. viral? I, in, in 1946 terms, right. I guess, right. you know. And, and on the one hand, uh, there's not a lot of evidence supporting it. But on the other hand, are we really defending a woman who helped run... Well, certainly there's concentration camp, and and there's certainly evidence she was a terrible human being. And that she definitely had people's skin flayed off for artwork. Yeah. But the lampshade is like, 
Is it that that one step further, further that's just right. so horrible you can't believe it? Yeah, because you can ha- actually, you know, imagine somebody sitting and reading a book by a lamp which is shaded with human flesh. I that, that kind of takes it to a whole another evil level. Irene Zisblatt, a Holocaust survivor, was it in a uh, interview told about uh, how her numbered Jewish tattoo was removed by Joseph Mengele, not a Buchenwald, okay. but at a without anesthetic to kind of test her pain threshold. Okay. Uh, but, but then when if you remove was... the tattoo, how will you know who it is? Oh, it's that one person that doesn't have a tattoo and has a big scar where we put the tattoo. Yeah, and and she ended up in Buchenwald and uh, what, talks about being inspected by Ilsa Koch, who mm-hmm. was looking for unblemished skin in order to make oh, leather lampshades. Now this one has no number. Let him go. Let him go. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Must have been a clerical error. <laughs> this one has defects. <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe she got away because she had the scar from the uh, earlier Mengele operation. You had acne when you were younger, didn't you? <laughs> In fact, there are five pieces of tattooed skin that uh, have obviously come from humans that are all attributed to Buchenwald. Uh, all are kept at the National Museum of Health and Medicine and the National Archives in Washington, D.C., Three have been positively identified as human. One item was actually labeled human skin lampshade, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have any perforations or other indications of such use. Uh, in fact, there was a film made by Billy Wilder shortly after the uh, um, liberation of Buchenwald right. uh, in which they, they have a table there. They filmed a bunch of the souvenirs that were in the officers' quarters at Buchenwald. Right. And uh, we have a photo of this that we'll obviously put on the website, causticsodapodcast.com, so you can check it out. But there's a table, and there is a lamp on that table. Um, but the lamp from the film footage actually didn't show up at trial mm-hmm. and was never entered into evidence. And they don't have anything. Nobody's been able to locate anything that looks like so this that think, was on that table. You think the prosecutor just went, no, all these pieces of skin with tattoos that are framed, whatever. That's not really enough. Uh, let's just grab this lampshade and say it's made of human flesh. <laughs> I Yeah. I mean, uh, it was sort of like one of those things, I think, that kind of the story didn't necessarily match the evidence that they had at hand. Right. Uh, but uh, just to give you a, a snapshot of the of the Cokes and their... Uh, their, their particular way of ruling a concentration camp. Uh, in 1940, they had an indoor sports arena built with money that they had seized from the inmates where the uh, the, the lovely couple could ride their horses. Uh, they were the only ones allowed inside the, uh, the horse track. Located outside the camp, the riding hall was 1,600 square meter wood structure exclusively reserved for the use of the commandant and his wife. Uh, there's a quote from a book called The Theory and Practice of Hell, a rewrite of the Buchenwald report. Try to do my German here. Oh, good. Construction work had to be stepped up in such a way that about 30 prisoners suffered fatal injuries or were driven to death in the process. You're going to Scottish there, I, my I, friend. I, I, everything, every, all my accents don't dissolve, uh, dissolve to Scottish sooner or later. Building costs amounted to roughly a quarter of a million marks. Mrs. Cork made her morning rides in this place after its completion. This took a quarter or half an hour several times a week and had to be accompanied with music played by the SS band standing on a special platform. Mm. So she had musical accompaniment for her rides. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed during World War II I was in the SS band. 
I had to play music while horrible things were happening. I wonder if you're like applying for a Philharmonic a couple years later, if you leave your SS band experience on or off your resume, right? It's one of those. Well, you know, you can work under difficult conditions. You probably get a good reference from Ilsa Coke. Say what you like about their moral center. They hit those high notes like nobody else. Ilsa also had a reputation of being a hedonist who took baths in Madeira wine that was poured into a bathtub. Mm. The Buchenwald report was actually a report commissioned by the SS themselves. You know, once the Cokes got on the wrong side of the SS and they were sort of looking into their depravities, okay. right? So I keep referencing this Buchenwald report that was actually prepared not by the Allies. Nazi detractors or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But was actually prepared by Nazis. Right. So it's sort of, in my mind, kind of lends a credence to whatever they say in there that might not necessarily have been in a war crimes trial, perhaps. Right put on mm-hmm. by, you know, a victor of yep. a war. Yes. They might have had a grudge or an axe to grind right. concerning, you know, Nazi atrocities. Uh, a prisoner who worked in the Koch home said in the Buchenwald report that Ilse Koch was simultaneously having love affairs with Dr. Valdemar Hoven and with Deputy Commandant Hermann Florstedt. And when Colonel Koch was transferred to the Maidanek concentration camp, where he, uh, he helped establish it, in Lublin, uh, his wife stayed behind and was seen with Dr. Valdemar Hoven almost all day, every day. Yeah, but to just to, the devil's advocate here. Okay, all right. If you're married to a Nazi commandant, uh-huh. is it, oh. does it make you more or less evil to sleep with other people? Dream a little dream, <laughs> I guess, right? You know, if only I were married to a Nazi commandant. You're gonna, are you going to rewrite this so that everything she did was actually done to improve the lives of the prisoners? That's right. She, she only beat the pe- penises of those that she knew liked it. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> you know, I guess if you're committing atrocities, adultery seems like pretty low down on the scale. I agree. So uh, even though it was, it was specifically mentioned in the Buchenwald report, obviously, probably in couching her as, you know, somebody of ill repute. Somebody low moral standards. You know when the SS is writing a report about you and saying, she's not our kind of people. <laughs> do you really think that do you really think Ilsa Coke is GGG though? Good giving a game in bed that she's a giving lover who cares about the pleasure of her prisoner of war partner. Assuming that by giving you mean giving your penis wax with her small stick, then well, I would say yes. If that's your thing, yeah. I mean obviously <laughs> Well you're getting the wax with the small stick, whether it's your thing or not. I mean, let's be honest. Right. I would put that down as not giving. <laughs> well, you're definitely taking though. Isn't the opposite of taking giving? Yeah, taking what I don't want. Yeah, yeah. This is the problem. I mean, maybe we should talk uh, about Buchenwald camp itself for a little while and sort of give people an idea of the environment in which the Cokes thrived. Oh, sure. I have some information on that. Now, Buchenwald is actually German for beach forest. That sounds lovely. Wait, wait, wait. Those things are opposite. That's, a, that's an oxymoron. You can have a, a forest, forest on the beach? You can have a forest right next to the beach. We're, we're yeah, from Chilliwack. We know all about this. But this isn't forest next to beach. This is beach forest. This is B-E-E-C-H. Beach uh, the tree, not beach the end of the, where the ocean ends. I'm all so right. glad you let us go on and on and on about that. <laughs> the first prisoners had to build their own prison. So the first prisoners basically built 
Buchenwald. Maybe they got to put in like sneak in little amenities. Right? Oh yeah, there you go. You know, like a uh, you know they they the one guy carved a chair specifically to the dimensions of his own ass his kind butt, of thing. Yeah. 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 This Use pile of broken up rocks is especially soft. <laughs> when I'm very tired from walking around this empty yard, I'll sit here and it'll be slightly better. Uh-huh. Although Buchenwald was technically not an extermination camp, it was a site of an extraordinary number of deaths. Life expectancy was three months. What? Wow. A primary cause of death was illness due to harsh camp condition with starvation and its consequent illness prevalent, malnourished, and suffering from disease. Many were literally worked to death. I mean, that sounds pretty much like a concentration camp. Yeah. Just like a particularly bad one? I don't know. It would have been worse to be at Auschwitz. We'll have to wait until we do our Auschwitz. Well, episode. that was an extermination camp, yeah. so I guess they're not really. It's apples and uh, uh, and slightly more dangerous. Well, apples. if it's an extermination camp, it means less waiting. <laughs> it's there's apples. your lesser two evils right there. <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, it's apples and apples with razor blades in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Prisoners were forced to stand uh, naked during roll call and for punishment. This was in sometimes in minus twenty degrees Celsius weather, sometimes for hours. Some nice. prisoners charged the electric fence in a suicidal gesture rather than take this punishment. That was uh, that that happened to Dachau a lot too. Uh, the um, uh, I've been to Dachau in outside outside of Munich, and uh, I didn't know you were that old. It's a uh, it's a site that you can go visit. Now. Oh, okay. Uh, and yeah, they would they would fling themselves. It's sort of it was a suicide by you know guard, right? Yeah, they would fling themselves on the barbed wire fences in order to get shot. Lovely, huh? Hey, how about that, Joe? Yeah. You'd rather throw yourself on a barbed wire fence than go on any longer. Lesser of two evils. Wow. Approximately 1,100 people were strangled to death on wall hooks in the body storage cellar. Uh, Under German law in the Third Reich, no one under the age of 16 could be executed, but an exception was apparently made for the eight-year-old Ivan Belevzev, who was executed at Buchenwald. What do you think an eight-year-old needs to do to get executed? Oh, he's a political prisoner. Ah, yes, of course. He's got bad ideas. He's a communist. Yeah. Yeah. We should share and be nice to each other. (laughs) Off with his head! Hang him on the hook! (laughs) Yeah, now, exactly how did you strangle somebody on a hook? Uh, Hooks had been forced into the neck behind the ear. Oh. That doesn't sound like strangling. That sounds like impaling. Maybe a bit of both. Uh, maybe. maybe it was just up to the whim of the individual yeah. guard, right? It's like, oh, this looks like this looks like a strangler. <laughs> it's in, the neck is involved. Let's call it strangling. There's a lot of blood in the way. Oh, it. maybe if you got those like poles or something that had like no neck. You got no neck, Joe. You're like, ah, I'm just putting them on the hook. Whereas you got like, you know, a sort of more graceful. Polish people have no necks? Well, I just. This I, is news to me. Yeah, what the? <laughs> I, I, I went with no neck Joe instead of no neck Paul. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> you know, whereas you said somebody who had a more slender, elegant neck, mm-hmm. it was more like, oh, let's stretch this thing out like a little. Like long neck Phil. Yeah. I just like to point out that I have way more neck than you. No neck, Kevin. <laughs> my, my neck is wider. Semi neck. Yeah, but see here, I can closer I, to your shoulders. I might have been able to pull like a Jean Claude Van Damme and just like tense my neck and not be strangled, right? <laughs> oh, you know? Yeah. Getting back to the horror. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Walter Summer uh, was an SS master sergeant who served as a guard at the concentration camps of Dachau and Buchenwald. Mm-hmm. Known as the hangman of Buchenwald, he was considered a depraved sadist who reportedly ordered two Austrian priests crucified upside down. Oh, nice. That's now you know what? That's some outside the box thinking. 
That's some real creative mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. He was infamous for hanging prisoners from trees from their wrists behind their backs in the singing forest, so named because of these screams which emanated from this wooded area. That is some really wicked doublespeak right there. That's yeah. some Kafka-esque shit with the uh, singing forest. How do they not know they're the bad guys? <laughs> They do have skulls on the uniforms after I, all. Yeah, there's the Mitchell and Webb thing, but like just that, like, like you're you're some young German guy who's you've joined the military to protect the fatherland. You know, you don't know a lot about politics. You you end up as a guard at a prison camp. You're like, well, you know, I'll take care of the prisoners. It's cool. I won't have to shoot people on the front lines. Yeah, and then your boss goes out hanging people from trees out in the with forest. With their arms behind their backs. With their arms so behind their backs. So their shoulders dislocate and whatnot. So that the forest becomes named the Singing Forest because of their screams. Well, you know, they th- name like, it the well, Singing Forest like as a joke, right? Like they're all sitting around the campfire laughing about it. I know. Right? And you're like, well, at least I get medical and dental. <laughs> and Ilsa Coke isn't beating me on the, my penis with a short stick. Yeah, better the prisoners than me, I see. Yeah. Although... Uh, Buchenwald did have some amenities. They had a movie theater. Oh, nice. What kind of movies do you think they put in there? They showed full-length regular films to the inmates. Regular. Probably not like, you know, mm-hmm. non-German how about, how about How about Nazi propaganda? Wouldn't that be almost torture unto itself? <laughs> that, that it's like you well. go in there and you watch. You go into the movie theater and they make you watch Triumph of the Will. <laughs> Would you rather have your penis whipped? But there's the other there's half another. of lesser of two evils. Would you rather have your penis whipped with a small stick or be forced to watch Triumph of the Will every day? <laughs> well, knowing how Ilsa Koch works, she probably let them watch actual good films and then sat up front talking to her friends and <laughs> using her cell phone. <laughs> they had a camp library with over 13,000 books. They were also allowed to organize variety shows and concerts. Okay. And art was encouraged as long as it was not degenerate art. So this was all between the beatings and the starvings and the freezings? Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Like all the other Nazi concentration camps, Buchenwald had a camp orchestra made up of inmate musicians. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So- Now, one of the- That's kind of bizarre that there are all these amenities. Now, why the hell would they have I think because the camps are probably made up of a whole bunch of different people. And officially, you're supposed to keep your prisoners occupied so that they won't spend their time trying to escape. Oh, So you encourage them, yeah, make some music, idiots. Stay over there, right? Uh, Yeah, because Buchenwald actually had a lot of foreign nationals. They had Mm -hmm. a lot of prisoners of war. They had a lot of, you know, undesirables, but not necessarily Jews. So maybe all of those guys were allowed to do the thing but no Jews allowed. Jews didn't get to watch uh, the movies. Jews didn't get to, you know, read in the library. Otherwise, it would, like, sully that shit. Right? Well, here's the thing. For the movie theater, admission charge was 30 fennings. Later reduced to 20 fennings. The prisoners could receive money from relatives outside the camp or earn money by working in the camp. So oh, nice. Maybe you could only was, see the film if you could afford if you it. If you could afford it, yeah. <laughs> As a prisoner of war. So I can just imagine. There's like three guys in this movie theater. Empty seats everywhere. Ilsa's down front, again, from yeah. talking on her cell phone. Uh-huh. Cell phones hadn't been invented yet, but she had strung up a line to bring a regular phone in there so she could sit in the theater <laughs> talking to her fucking friends at full volume. Oh, yeah, I'm in the theater watching with my friend. I should totally be doing her accent, but I can't do it loud. And then outside 
are hundreds of other prisoners who don't have the 20 whatever and they they can just hear here's looking at you kid uh, oh this is torture no no i still think they go in there they pay their 30 fennec and they watch triumph of the will <laughs> yeah he, part way through ilsa's like oh yeah i'm gonna hang up and go now and let them watch the movie and then as she gets up it switches <laughs> Now file this next one under amenities for some, horrible death for others. Oh, okay. Ooh, lesser tweevils, I'll take the amenities. <laughs> next to the camp and within view of the prisoners was a small enclosed park. The park featured a birdhouse and a zoo for four bears and five monkeys. A zoo? Yeah, there was also an elaborate falconry. It's not a zoo, it's an animal prison. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Nazis. There was also an elaborate falconry in another area outside the camp where the SS kept birds of prey. And one prisoner recalled okay, that. That sounds about right, actually. That yeah. sounds like just like the kind of thing the Nazis would That's do. That's the thing. little Nazi uniforms. <laughs> That's the <right>. Falcons. <laughs> but they would have like, yeah, the SS they, hat, the Pete cap on That's it. right. But but all the, the iconography on the bird uh, outfits are all people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see that picture of like a Nazi standing there with a falcon on his shoulder, the little Nazi uniform with people. <laughs> with, a, with a little person <laughs> emblem on, on the chest. Instead of an eagle. Of the, yeah. Instead of an eagle. Yeah. Oh, hilarity. Uh, one prisoner recalled that every day they would throw a Jew in there. The bear would tear him apart, and the eagle would pick at his bones. Oh, well, that's just feeding time at the zoo. Yeah, exactly. This is really Roman slash Christian shit here. Like, this is, well, I, I don't think she understands that bears are what they eat, and they are <laughs> oh. making a giant Jew bear, and uh, good for Inglorious Bastards for finally making that happen. Yeah. Also filed under amenity for some and not so much for others. The number of women held in Buchenwald was somewhere between 500 and 1,000. The first female inmates were 20 political prisoners. These women were brought to Buchenwald from Ravensbrück, an all-woman concentration camp, mm -hmm. in 1941. And they were forced into prostitution at the camp's brothel. Oh, well, we're going to talk about that later in the pop culture section. Oh, okay. And... The camp was also a site of large-scale trials for vaccines against epidemic typhus, and on all, 729 inmates were used as test subjects, of whom 154 died. I should note that in doing research for this article, I came, this information comes, some comes from Wikipedia, some comes from the Buchenwald Camp Guidebook, the modern, right? you know. Because you can still visit yeah. Buchenwald today and, and uh, talk about all the horrible things they did there. Other information comes from podcasts and documentaries. Whenever I've found <coughs> conflicting figures, I've used the more conservative figures. Okay. Just FYI. Yeah, because I, I did read something about the typhus experiments and now how like six out of seven yeah. of the people who were experimented on would die. Right. Um, other experimentation included determining the precise fatal dose of a poison of the alkaloid group. Um, four Russian POWs were administered the poison, and when it proved not to be fatal, they were strangled in the crematorium and subsequently dissected. Oh, well, there you go. So uh, let's try and poison them, and then we suck at it, so let's just <laughs> jump straight to the quick. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting bored. <laughs> Yawn. Among other various experiments was one which, in order to test the effectiveness of a bomb for wounds from incendiary bombs, involved inflicting very severe phosphorus burns on inmates. Oh, again. Now, as mentioned, many people died at this camp. Right. And they were buried in the graves. Uh, but due to the intense stench, the spot of the original graves were too close to the town 
for the townsfolk, and they themselves moved the gravesite. The townsfolk did? Yeah, because of the stench. Oh, so th- this whole, uh, hey, we didn't know what was going on in that concentration camp? That particular town didn't mm-hmm. exactly have that defense. This place where you guys are throwing away your whatever <laughs> smells yeah. bad. Uh-huh. It's uh, dogs. The camp medical personnel were keeping human souvenirs. In 1942, the SS command ordered them to quit making gifts such as shrunken heads. Yes. And again, uh, the shrunken heads, they found three shrunken heads uh, when they liberated. Yeah, when they liberated Buchenwald. And one of them made it into uh, Ilse Koch's second trial. The camp was built to house 8,000. When it was liberated, there were 10 times that amount. And over 56,000 people died there in seven years. I think that was pretty common that, you know, they would build a camp for 10,000 people and then right. they just found all sorts of people that they wanted to put away. Right. And, uh, it, you know, camp expansion. And at the end of the important. war, at the end of the war, you know, they're, they're losing ground and they don't know where to put all their prisoners and having to bring them out of other camps that have closed. Like, mm-hmm. And it is worth noting that a lot of the work that the prisoners were made to do was building subcamps. Right. F- mm. To house... Other prisoners. Other prisoners and prisoners of war who were building other things. And... It's that classic Hollywood moment where you get to dig your own grave. Yeah. Right? That oh-so-ironic, all right, start digging, buddy. Or even, you know, forge your own knife that you're going to stab yourself with. <laughs> so that gives you a picture of the camp that uh, Ms. Koch presided over. Yes, and, and I, I don't think there's anybody who's saying that both Ilsa and her husband weren't integrally involved in a lot of these depravities and atrocities, right? Ilsa's husband went on to start another uh, extermination concentration camp uh, elsewhere in 1942, but she stayed on at Buchenwald until the 24th of August, 1943, when they were arrested. The two of them. The two of them were both arrested by the SS themselves, uh, and the charges against them were private enrichment, the charges against them were private enrichment, mm-hmm. embezzlement, and murder of prisoners. Oh, mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a story. This It's actually the murder of prisoners that started the investigation right. that led to the Buchenwald report that led to their arrest. Oh, because it cor- led them to discovering there were corruption. Exp- well, they, they all kind of knew that the corruption was going on. They know from like that inside SS circles, people were kind of talking about it and like, oh, Jesus, there go the Cokes again, extorting money out of all their prisoners. Why do they have all those Ferraris? Yeah. <laughs> on their SS camp. Porsches, Porsches, sorry, Porsches, please, torn. Show us what you know about sports cars. (laughs) Practically nothing. Uh Uh, Only what I learned on posters in the 80s. According to the Buchenwald report, the murder charge against Colonel Koch was based on the accusation that he had ordered the execution of hospital orderly Walter Kramer and his assistant. Right. According to the charges, Koch had falsely claimed that the two men were executed for political reasons. The SS judge, Conrad Morgan found Carl guilty and ordered his execution in Buchenwald in April of 1945. Irony. <laughs> but this doctor was in fact, was he not in fact the person who was conducting? I have a quote. I have okay. A, I have a quote from the SS judge, Conrad Morgan. Here, I'm going to try my German accent again. Oh, good. The investigation of Commandant Koch began as a result of reports that a certain prisoner had been shot while attempting to escape, when in fact, this prisoner had been told to get water from a well some distance from the camp, and he was shot from behind. 
My office was called to investigate this charade. It turned out this prisoner had cheated Coke for syphilis. Mm. And in order to keep the, his disease a secret, Coke had this man eliminated. There I must think, be no witnesses to my VD. <laughs> I think the human language is not capable of describing the horror of Coke's crimes. He was mad for power and took every occasion to get rich off the prisoners. I am convinced he stole millions of marks from the camp. Mm, all right. So he was uh, successfully convicted and executed oh. by the SS. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ilsa herself was imprisoned until 1944 when she was acquitted for lack of evidence. Uh, later, at her, at her later war crimes trials, uh, the SS judge Morgan uh, testified that a thorough search of her home found no human skin lampshades. And even after being beaten repeatedly by U.S. prosecutors and ordered to testify that she did, in fact, have human skin lampshades, he refused. Oh. So that that speaks kind of volumes into this whole the human lampshade thing right. is probably an urban myth. Well, they had witnesses though that that did claim that they saw her yes, choosing but, and being involved in the making. But those weren't at the SS trial that happened in 1943. Right. That happened, that started to happen at her second trial. Right. Which we'll talk about now. Okay. Uh so after the so in 1944 she's released by the SS for lack of uh, evidence, and then of course in 1945 Buchenwald is liberated by the uh, by the Allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Wilder makes her documentary film, which we already mentioned earlier, which has a table, and they mention that this is a human skin lampshade. In fact, the film's narration says that among the items was found a lampshade made of human skin, made at the request of the SS officer's wife. And this lampshade in the press got got blown up as like kind of the symbol of Nazi barbarism and atrocity. Right. right? So uh, Ilsa, after being uh, acquitted by the SS, was living with her uh, family until the 30th of June, 1945, when she and 30 others from Buchenwald were arrested. Okay. And then they went on trial in 1947. Now, this is where everybody starts talking about, I saw the human skin lampshades Mm. and I saw this and I saw that. So, I mean, we're talking 1947. I mean, this is at least, this is two years after the war. Right. And she was arrested in 1943. It's four years since she'd been to Buchenwald, right? Mm-hmm. So, is, there's definitely a, it's questionable. a temporal disconnect, right? Right. Uh, so, they were tried in 1947 for war crimes before an American military court at Dachau. She was charged with participating in a criminal plan for aiding, abetting, and participating in murders at Buchenwald. Prosecutors submitted as evidence a shrunken head and three pieces of tattooed human skin, but no lampshade. Prosecution witnesses Tits and Frobos testified. Sorry, sorry. you can say that again. <laughs> Tits and Frobos? Thank you. Testified that they had seen the accused in possession of a skin lampshade, a skin-bound album, and a pair of gloves made from human skin. Okay, so this was on This evidence? is in 47. This is witnesses. Okay. Didn't actually have a lampshade or a skin-bound album or a pair of gloves made of human skin, but they all these two gentlemen testified to the fact that they had seen them. All right. Another witness, Kurt Wilhelm Lisa, testified about a lamp with a shade fashioned out of human skin and the base made from a human leg bone. Hmm. Lisa said that he had previously seen the tattoos that could be seen on this lampshade on the arms of a fellow prisoner, Joseph Colinette, before Colinette died. This lamp was not introduced into evidence in the courtroom, and there are no witnesses from the American military who testified that they saw it. 
uh, when the camp was being liberated. Dr. Sitta, who had a PhD in physics, was one of the star witnesses against Ilse Koch in her first war crimes trial. He had been a prisoner at Buchenwald from September 1939 until 1945. That guy is tough as nails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, He testified that there were prisoners killed in the hospital and tattooing stripped off. Under cross-examination, Dr. Sitter was forced to admit that he had never seen any lampshades allegedly made from human skin, and that he had no personal knowledge of any prisoner who had been reported by Frau Koch and then killed so that their skin could be made into a lampshade. And he, in fact, during his cross-examination, defense attorney Captain Emmanuel Lewis tried to introduce a plausible explanation for the removal Wait. of tattoos of Buchenwald. Webster? Emmanuel Lewis is Webster. <laughs> Did I do that? Oh, no, wait, no, that's, that's, that's our call. That's our call. <laughs> he asked the question, is it not a fact that skin was taken from habitual criminals as part of a scientific research done by Dr. Wagner and into connection between criminals and tattoos? To which Dr. Sid answered, in my time, skin was taken off prisoners whether they were a criminal or not. I don't think any responsible scientist would ever call this kind of work scientific. Right. So. There's a little science in it. I have is, there, a, is there any science? I have it? a hypothesis this, that this will hurt like shit. There you go. Uh, oh, yeah. hypothesis confirmed. <laughs> well, we'd better repeat that experiment. Now, something important to note about this first war crimes trial put on by the Americans was that they made a, a strange decision that was actually in violation of American military policy. Oh. Uh, the American military had a, had a, a, um, a standing order called Law Number 10, which indicated that allies could consider all crimes committed between 33 and 45. But there was an order specifically about the Buchenwald trial given by Colonel C.E. Strait and Colonel A.H. Rosenfeld that... Collector the, of antique lampshades. <laughs> the, the, ironically enough, that the prosecutors in this trial were to ignore any charges before January 1st, 1942. There were no charges that involved crimes committed in the camp before January 1st, 1942, nor were there any charges involving crimes committed against German citizens at Buchenwald. So this is like actually in complete contradiction to many of the other war crimes trials that were going on at the exact same period in time, like at Nuremberg and at Dachau. They didn't set like a a time frame or... No, no. Uh, the, the, well, law number 10 stated that they could consider all crimes between 33 and 45, okay, right? Okay. So at Buchenwald, they were only allowed to consider crimes between 42 and 45. And Ilse Koch left the camp in 43. So there really only was one year of time mm. that they could actually introduce evidence against her for any crimes that Do happened. Do we know in that why that span. is? Is there any explanation why? Nobody seems to know why these two colonels made this decision. But General Lucius Clay, the interim military governor of the American Zone in Germany, commented on the matter saying, I hold no sympathy for Ilsa Koch. She was a woman of depraved character and ill repute. She had done many things reprehensible and punishable, undoubtedly under German law. We were not trying her for those things. We were trying her as a war criminal on specific charges for specific times. Okay. So it's it's kind of this one of these, nobody really knows what so happened. Basically what he's saying there is, look, we might not be able to make this stick, but she's a fucking terrible person. Oh, yeah. 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 In okay. fact, on uh, <laughs> and on the 19th of August, 1947, she was sentenced to life imprisonment for violation of the laws and customs of war. Right. Um, the really interesting part about this trial is in the middle of the trial, she announced that she was pregnant. Oh, this is like almost a, like a reality show. <laughs> I know. Dramatic and is, turn. And her husband had been dead for how long? 
Uh, five years? Between two and three years. Three but years? wasn't she yeah. in prison during this time? And she'd been in prison for the last two years. Wait a minute. What's mm. going on? Uh, oh, it's obviously the second coming of Christ. <laughs> a Nazi Christ? Oh, that's, there's a comic for Robin Thompson to do. <laughs> you know, she gets redeemed. The thing that made this like even crazier was he was a 41-year-old woman at the time and had been kept in isolation with no contact with any men except American interrogators, most of whom were Jewish. Uh-oh. <laughs> In fact, there was speculation amongst court reporters that the father was Joseph Kirschbaum, a Jewish interrogator who was who was one of the few men who had access to her prison cell. It must have been her, you? her perfume. So wait a minute. You're saying that I can go out to a place where women are specifically trying to meet men and not pick anybody up, and a Jew can go, like, inter- interrogate a Nazi war criminal and get laid? <laughs> Well, he's sitting there going to, I'm thinking to myself, I know why she would want to have sex with her American interrogator to try and maybe, you know, hey, maybe we won't look at anything that happened before 1942, right? right? Maybe, yeah. huh? Maybe we could like, we could ignore everything that happened before 1942, huh? How about we do that? That wasn't so bad between 42 and 43. I wasn't such a bad girl, right? I understand her motivation. Yeah. What the hell is his motivation? I don't, yeah. Like, you would think any self-respecting Jewish-American prosecutor would kind of get shrinky-dink if they looked at a Nazi war criminal, (laughs) right? Of course, it could be that it was so wrong that that made it all the more exciting. Oh, you're terrible. shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) You dirty, dirty person. Oh, my mother would be so upset with me. That has got to be it, right? That's the only possible explanation, right? I guess. I mean, I don't get it. That's why I took the job in the first place. Yeah. A guy named Joshua M. Green wrote a book called Justice at Dachau in 2003, saying one of Ilse's former lovers, an officer from Buchenwald, worked in the prisoner's kitchen at Dachau. They met in the kitchen by chance, and Ilse told them where she's being held. The officer dug a hole into her barracks, and when she finally walked up to the witness chair at the trial, she was visibly pregnant. The press had a field day. Unfortunately, he doesn't actually say where he got this information from. And nor does he hint at any at the real identity of the father, nor does he give this source for information under, uh, you know, questions. So uh, nor was there a tunnel found into her uh, cell that would actually indicate that anybody actually tunneled into it. Uh So it seems like blind speculation on this guy's part that he's just like throwing, you know, shit against the wall to see if it'll stick. Right. So on the 8th of June, 1948, after she had served two years of her life sentence, General Clay, the previously aforementioned Lucius Clay, the interim military governor of the American Zone in Germany, reduced her sentence to four years, time served, and had her released immediately. News of the reduced sentence did not become public until the 16th of September, and an uproar ensued shortly thereafter. Gee, why? I wonder why. (laughs) He claims that because she was only convicted of no murders, but just kind of being a bad person because uh-huh. they could only consider this very short amount of time. And there was no evidence to suggest that she'd actually ever actually made human skin lampshades, right. that she was kind of, he couldn't support the life imprisonment uh, judgment. So he had to, he had to under all good conscience, let her go. But at the end of 1948, a Senate investigation was launched into the Coke case oh. Only four days after the commutation of her sentence in September was completed, the excerpts from that report printed in the Times regarding human skin atrocities as follows. Tattooed skin was carefully cut from the bodies of dead inmates, tanned, and used for a variety of pseudoscientific and decorative purposes. Right. And they concluded that four years wasn't enough for this woman to spend in jail. Right. So what do you think they did? Because Retrial? The, the American 
tribunal is over. You know, it's now nineteen four. It's now nineteen forty nine. German right? trial. They called up the West Germans and said, "Hey, you might want to put her on trial." And okay. so Ilsa Koch's third trial oh. began. That roller coaster. She got arrested again in nineteen forty nine and uh, was uh, was charged with. Incitement to murder, incitement to attempted murder, and incitement to the crime of committing grievous bodily harm. And the reason that they figured that they could make this third trial go mm-hmm. is because she was never tried For on crimes against German years. citizens. No, oh, I see. Against okay. German citizens. Okay. So the West Germans came in and say, "Listen, you were just trial. Uh, you were just tried." for crimes against foreign nationals in that camp. Now it's our turn to try you for your crimes against German citizens. So this time they finally got her. She, uh, they issued a 111-page-long decision. A 111-page mm. decision. They really wanted to stick it to her. <laughs> this lady is very, 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 very evil. For 111 pages? Yeah. Yeah. Something to that effect. Uh, she appealed the judgment several times, but the appeals were quashed or dismissed. She later made petitions for a pardon, all of which were rejected by the Bavarian Ministry of Justice. Uh, she protested her uh, life sentence, mm-hmm. finally got a life sentence that actually stuck, to the International Human Rights Commission. And they said no go. All to no avail. So three trials it took to get her uh, you know, on crimes against humanity. Okay. They were, they were dogged in their pursuit of her, and they got her finally. Uh, she had her son, her second son, in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was immediately taken away from her, and uh, they don't raise the baby in prison and and put in uh, into foster care or, or right. an orphanage or whatever they did in Germany yeah. in the late forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the age of nineteen, he found out who his natural mother were and started visiting her in jail. Sure, yeah, she would write poetry for him. Yes, and in nineteen seventy one. He, uh, there's an article from the New York Times called Ilsa Koch's Posthumous Rehabilitation Sought by Son. So he was like her one defender. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, he knew her so well, what with living away from her for 19 of his 19 years. <laughs> Blood is thicker than Nazism. Skin. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> uh, so here's the big question. I mean, she's a terrible person who got mm-hmm. her rocks off doing terrible things mm-hmm. to a lot of innocent people that she had under her thumb. She's obviously at least a sexual sadist, if not just a plain old sadist. She right? may be a witch. She, she's certainly, you know, witchy, mm-hmm. witchish, right? But the question still remains, did she actually order the construction of human skin lampshades or not? Does it matter? Well, in 1995, Ken Kipperman, an American Jew who was born in Poland in 1946, Requested to see the evidence from the Dachau trial. Oh, okay. So you had the same question. And was allowed to view a piece of tattooed leather labeled USA 258. Uh, Kipperman had his picture taken with the skin, which he was told was part of the evidence shown at the uh, trial. The tattoo showed a nude woman with butterfly wings. The tattooed skin did not appear to be part of a lampshade because it was not properly shaped and had no perforations for stitching. Right. So he went, okay, this one's labeled human lampshade, but it's obviously not a lampshade. Right. He didn't give up. Uh, in his quest to find the missing human lampshade from the Ilsa Koch trial, Kipperman located an article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch headlined, Ex-Officer Has Human Skin from Ilsa Koch's Home. Mm-hmm. This article was dated 1949. Kind of contemporary. Right? Okay, yeah. And the article quoted Lawrence Schmuel, 
who was a U.S. Army major commanding the Buchenwald Liberation. Okay. He had taken home camp souvenirs and kept them in a glass-covered bookcase in his basement in Michigan City, Indiana. Two large tattooed skins, a human skin book cover, and most pieces of the famous lampshade. Kipperman found a photograph of Schmuel's souvenir skins at a run in the Indianapolis Star in 1949. Okay. The picture was blurry, but the skins, sectioned into trapezoids, appeared to have holes along mm-hmm. the edges, mm-hmm. as if they'd been strung Book together around the frame stitched. of a lampshade. Right. He found another picture showing the top of the lampshade on the table at Buchenwald. He could see two oddly cut corner pieces that clearly matched two of Schmuel's souvenirs. According to the Washington Post article that recounts Kipperman's... Uh, investigations yep. Schmuel sold the lampshade pieces to a collector who later got rid of them because he couldn't stand to look at them any longer and they just weren't very well made lamps so i mean it isn't it's kind of not that crazy this guy rolls in in 1945 for the liberation of the camp they mm-hmm. have this movie made by billy wilder where yep. they laid out a man of uh, of uh jewish descent uh who they laid out all these souvenirs that they found in all the officers quarters and whatnot and there's kind of there's this patch of skin that has stitching along the edges but it's kind of laid flat yeah so you can't really tell if it's a lampshade or not now i also in preparation for this podcast mm-hmm. i watched a lot of youtube videos documentaries and whatnot and there yep. was at least a couple one of which was filmed in color by warner brothers um cinematographers okay and i seem to recall them showing a lampshade on the table with a bunch of other stuff yeah from this footage now right. whether or not that was a human skin lampshade or again they just said oh we'll just put this on the table and say it's human skin well one of the lampshades that was actually brought up at one of the trials was actually proved to be made of goat skin okay so that might have been that lamp but it still doesn't dispute the fact that you've got the guy who's in charge of the liberation of buchenwald who on the, in the days after the liberation they take photographs and movie and and footage of all these souvenirs, the human heads and the tattoos and the skin and potential lampshades. And then some of the things that are on that table don't show up at the 1947 trial two years later. They're just not there. They're not in evidence. Yeah. And in 1940 decided to take them home as souvenirs. And in 1949, a guy tells his story to his local newspaper saying, yeah, that stuff that wasn't at the trial, I got it in my basement. Yeah, and that, then they have pictures. That human skin lampshade, I thought, ah, everybody else is getting a Luger. I'll take this. Yeah, and uh, I believe he took a shrunken head as well. Oh, man. Okay, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> He's just a uh, savvy investor. He did sell them. Say he claimed to a collector. So, you know, I mean, uh, he, he's probably the only one who came out ahead in this. A shrunken, a shrunken head. head. Her story ends poorly. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, did she get her comeuppance? On September 1st, 1967, Coke committed suicide by hanging herself at Icock Women's Prison. You said Icock. Well, that's how it's spelled. A-I-C-H-A-C-H. <laughs> hey, you're the one practicing your <laughs> It should be Icock, right? Uh, sure. So I probably shouldn't pronounce it Icock. Yes, well, you should. Icock, Ilsa Cock. Oh, there you go. Full circle. Her body is buried in an unmarked and untended grave in the cemetery at the prison. Oh, we can't even dig up her bones. No. Well, that would dig up the whole cemetery. Yeah, and who knows which bones are hers, right? right. But we got to make a lamp out of her bones. Bone lamp. <laughs> that would be particularly appropriate. I understand there's a shade out there somewhere that'll match. Scrimshaw. <laughs> he made the night 
a little brighter Wherever he would go He would go The old lamplighter Of long, long ago His snowy hair was so much whiter Beneath the candle glow, candle glow. the old lamplighter of long, long ago. You'd hear the patter of his feet as he came toddling down the street. His smile would hide a lonely heart, you see. If there were sweethearts in the park, he'd pass a lamp and leave it dark. Remembering the days that used to be For he recalls when dreams were new He loved someone who loved him too Who walks with him alone in memory He made the night a little brighter Wherever he would go He would go Turns them on when night is here, he turns them off when dawn is near. The little man we loved of long ago. I don't really have an in the news section. Okay. In the not World War Two. Yeah, like so, there there hasn't really been any new Ilsa Coke news since 1967 when she killed herself. You know. Oh, spoilers. Uh, but I did find in researching this episode, I found a bunch of interesting things out there on like Holocaust denial websites. Okay. There's yeah, a yeah. there's a I mean I'm sure you know people, you're on a list now. I'm sure that people are peripherally aware that Holocaust denial websites exist. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people out there going, "This is why I know the Holocaust didn't happen." I learned this the same is, thing from watching YouTube. <laughs> there are a bunch of YouTube users who who don't who have series on pointing out the inconsistencies in Holocaust. Look, if you're going to believe evidence. the tens of thousands of witnesses who walked in on these murder camps to see the horrible conditions and all the people that were dead and all the dead bodies and all the videos of that and, and all, all that, if you're going to believe that, yeah. you, well, you'll just believe anything. <laughs> Precisely. So I stumbled across a number of these in the course of my tra- my travels. Uh, so I, I, I cribbed one that I thought was sort of 
emblematic, okay. really symptomatic of of the argument of the people surrounding the Ilsa Coke trial. Because basically what it comes down to is they're, about positing, the lampshade. they're positing that, okay, everyone says she's the woman who made the human skin lampshades. No human skin lampshades ever showed up. They were never introduced at trial. You have the SS judge Conrad Morgan saying these never existed, and that was a, a yeah. Nazi trial before the war even ended. Right, right, and and he was a hard ass Nazi judge adjutant, like yeah. judge advocate. He like they he was told a, him to pull back. Yeah, he was a Nazi hunter. Yeah, uh, and so because of all these inconsistencies, it throws doubt on everything about Ilsa Koch. <laughs> right, right, you know. If you can't prove that I was going 500 miles an hour, then there's no way that I could have been going 110. Yeah. <laughs> officer. Uh-huh. So I found one article which I thought was particularly sweet in this kind of, uh, you know, circular logic. Okay. The article is entitled Media Manufactured Monster, Ilsa Coke and the Lampshade Libel. Oh, there's a lot of alliteration in there. I was about to say, like, this, it pains me that an article this stupid has this much alliteration in it. Because you all know well, how much I love alliteration. Maybe that says something about you and alliteration, though. Uh, I think yeah. that the writer's obviously an, an, either an Encyclopedia Brown or a Hardy Boys fan. Because that sounds like Ilsa Coke And the Lampshade Libel. And the Lampshade Libel is totally the title of an Encyclopedia Brown or Hardy Boys book. Yeah, it does It, it does kind of uh, follow That's probably the kind of stuff that they had for the Nazi youth. No, it <laughs> is. In, during the war, they were making uh, little books like this. It's the lost Encyclopedia Brown, right? Golly like, chums, this lampshade's made out of goat skin. If anything's going to make me become a neo-Nazi, it's alliteration. Okay. But I've resisted up till now. Oh. Uh, so this, I'm quoting this particular individual now from this point forward. I'm trying to. Should I do it in a goofy voice? No, I'll just do it in a regular voice. Do it in a like an angry, passive aggressive. Uh, nobody really likes you, and you know it. Voice. Oh yeah, it's snotty. I'm gonna do snotty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in his book to silence all but conscious liars, Professor Butts points out that since most of what we Seymour know, Seymour Butts. Well, it's spelled B-U-T-Z. <laughs> points <Seymour> out Butts? <laughs> that since most of what we know about Buchenwald and its controllers comes from former inmates who may with good reason be more than a little biased. Oh, yeah. Point of order, Your Honor. (laughs) The good reason is the thing that they're saying happened. Yeah. If it didn't happen, then they don't have good reason. Well, we must read between the lines of their testimonies. Professor Butts comments that because Koch was a homosexual, brackets, bisexual, question mark, Frau Koch used that to make out with the prisoners. It doesn't seem to have occurred to either Butts or Bernie that some inmates might have considered it to be a, a privilege rather than a punishment to bed the commandant's wife. Exclamation. So it's not so bad to be a Buchenwald if uh, she seduced you before right. she beat oh, your yeah. penis with a stick. Um, <clears throat> returning to Ilse Koch, even if one accepts that she committed real crimes under German law, even if one accepts that she was a harlot, even if one accepts that she was exceptionally depraved in a sexual sense, she's a long way to go before qualifying as one of the most evil or even one of the most depraved women in the world. Are we really being asked to believe that she can hold a candle to Elizabeth Bathory, the blood countess, who tortured and murdered hundreds of young virgins before bathing in their blood? I'm so glad he's done all his research <laughs> to yeah. get accurate numbers to support his <laughs> argument. Yeah, I just, I, I, I loved how... Even if we believe everything they say about her, Elizabeth Bathory was worse. Yeah. Like, that that's where Get he ends off up. Get off Ilsa Koch's <laughs> case, people. Yeah, and even if she did everything that they say that she did, she did have sex with some of the prisoners. Which, that's not so know, bad, That's pretty right? sweet, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're a prisoner, 
you know, maybe it's more of a privilege than a punishment. If I was there, I would totally be breaking into the Buchenwald <laughs> concentration camp. Yeah. So somebody would, so a dominatrix would uh, fulfill yeah. all my desires. So I, could get a, so I could get a little pussy before I was fed to a jungle cat. Right? It's pathetic. Oh, God, it's just so bad. And it, this is, you know, really... This was one of the more cogent ones that I stumbled across. I also love that he's, like, one of the bad things, even if she's a harlot. So? He's like, judgy. really, that's the part that I don't even care. Like, maybe her and her husband had a deal. Like, you know, know maybe he was gay. Maybe he was I gay. Mean, it was a political uh, arranged marriage. He did have syphilis and she didn't. Yeah, so, well, there you, know, you go. I mean, yeah. <laughs> And maybe that's why he had those people killed to cover up the syphilis because the, they would have found out she didn't, and they would have found out that a lot of they the had men's had bums sex. had syphilis. And so, yeah. So again, this could—it might not be she's a harlot. This is just the deal. Yeah. Right. But it's so who cares? That makes her a harlot, Joe. Perhaps you don't understand. Oh, I forgot that women who enjoy, women sex, who enjoy are bad. sex are bad. Yeah. I think basically this Ilsa Coke trial denial thing is kind of it's the straw man in oh, the yeah. whole holocaust thing because now they're like well if the ilsa coke trial isn't legit then maybe the holocaust itself in toto is not legit <laughs> right. right like they just like make these grand sweeping statements based on like this little shred of they never found a human skin lampshade yeah i, I found a little tear in this sweater the sweater does not exist <laughs> i'm willing to bet i'm willing to believe that maybe they just made jokes about it yeah you know Oh, yeah, we'll totally pull that one out and make a lamp sheet out of her skin. Look at the tattoo. That would look so good. And the prisoners heard it and went, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what happened. That's still terrible. I mean, maybe that was like just what she liked to yellow during sex with the prisoners. I will make a lampshade from your skin. Is there any question as to whether or not she did the other um, artworks made from human skin, tattooed human skin? It, it was the the medical staff that would remove the tattoos right. and the motivation behind the removing the tattoos that has not been really determined. Okay. Around the camp, the prisoners were like, she's the one doing it because she would always have them strip naked right. and investigate and she would them. find the ones and, and pick and choose them. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and whack their penises with sticks and, and, whack their penises with and sticks. make them stand out in the cold until so they threw the themselves. at the very least, yeah. Ilsa Coke, penis whacker. <laughs> that makes her evil in my book. <laughs> Yeah, unless, of course, uh, let's put it out there. There, I, I guess there are some people who want Everyone their penises whacked. Everyone who wants to have their penis whacked, take one step forward. Oh, you know? And then all the other guys take one step back. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. So there is some pop culture to talk about regarding Ilsa Coke, actually. Yeah. Very uh, interestingly enough, Joe and I watched, uh, some would, I think some people would call this a classic. I'm willing to call it a classic. It's just not a good one. Okay. Uh, I, does please. classic mean good? I, well, certainly as time moves forward, <laughs> anything like before, like 20 years ago, well, this is, will fall in the classic section of the video store if such a store still existed. <laughs> this is certainly representative of a time and a genre, and it, I could almost call it important. Well, let's call this movie the, by name. This, yeah. this movie is Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS. Yeah, 1975 uh -huh. Nazi exploitation film. Or Nazi exploitation. Nazi exploitation. Uh, kind of the the I don't know if it's the first, but it's absolutely the iconic one. Yes. Uh, it stars Diane Thorne as Ilsa, who is the commandant as opposed to the wife of the commandant. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of similarities between this character and Ilsa Koch, obviously. Um, but yeah, she's a commandant, and she's like, she's a doctor herself. Like they kind of meshed a bunch of characters, I think, 
into this, it like made an amalgam. Yeah. Like she's kind of her hut. Like in the real world, there's Commandant Coke, Ilsa Coke, and then the doctors of Buchenwald. Right. And maybe it was just because of budget. They made it one character instead of three. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, she it, was Dr. Commandant. She was Dr. Fraulein, Commandant Fraulein doing, Ilsa. Doing experiments that involved, oh, cutting toes off people for no reason. Yes. No, to prove her uh, theory that women were oh, that's far right. more resistant to pain than men. That's right. Oh. So she would torture you these know, women the way horribly. To, the way to accurately scientific test that is to force a man to have a baby. Yeah, yeah. Push a baby out of his There's anus. There's lesser of two evils right there, my friend. First, we're going to have to give you a vagina. First, we're going to have to split open your stomach, put a baby in there, and then somehow force it through your anus. Yeah, so... Or your penis. <laughs> oh, there you go. Now we're talking. Penis baby. Uh, now it's not just a baby holding an apple. I have penis babies all the time, but... Uh, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Millions of them Millions at once. Millions of them at once. Uh but so the commandant, Dr. Ilsa, yeah. you know, in order to prove this theory, she does stuff like flog a man and a woman next to each other and they're hoping yeah. that the man will die first. Oh, yeah. I see. Right? And the w- here's the thing that makes this a shitty movie. It, there, there is no story structure really set up to present to, to present the reasons why any one of these things is being done. Oh, no. It's absolutely. just. And in a regular movie about somebody sadistic like this, you would have this stuff being shown, but it would kind of be in the background, and it would you would it would be enough to go. And now you get the point. She's a horrible, terrible, torturing person. Yes, but, but in this, this movie, one, it was like now it's time for people who like that to get a scene long enough that they can jerk off to. Yes, no, absolutely. That's exactly what this is. It's 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 uh, highlighting, shining a spotlight yeah. on the torture and depravity. In order for people to kind of get off on it. And I did not realize that uh, war-torn Germany had a complete absence of bras. I didn't (laughs) realize that bras were that hot a commodity because there was not one to be found. They were all being used to make uh, munitions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Slingshots. Yeah. (laughs) It it really felt like this was just a, a jerk off fantasy for the filmmaker because it started off with Ilsa being the she's the dominatrix uh, commandant of this yeah. camp and she's got two beautiful uh, SS female officers with her and they're all normally clothed and, and then as this as the show progresses and it's the prisoners who are all naked as the show progresses just for no reason at all the SS girls just have no tops on and are standing oh, yeah. around yeah. just <laughs> boobs hanging out I'm sorry I missed this yeah uh, and then they and then like you pointed out there the number of buttons that they had done up seemed to disappear as the movie went on maybe there were less and less buttons being buttoned on the maybe SS this themselves. is a representation of spring arriving and the the weather getting warmer or it's a uh, it's a it's a metaphor for them losing the war they were losing the war with their buttons and bras. Oh, there you go. They yeah. couldn't afford all the little fastener technology because no, it had to be sent off to make tanks. It's metaphorical, Joe. Right. You don't understand what the filmmaker was saying here is that, you know, the battle of the bulge was actually the battle of the bulge in their shirts. Ooh. There you go. Nice. Shirt yep. bulge. <laughs> so uh, the plot uh, for what little there is. Oh, uh, you totally air quoted that with your voice. I totally, <laughs> totally did. So you've got a torturing commandant of sadistic. Uh, a sadistic of this uh, prison camp and then you have the american prisoner who shows up and he makes sure to tell everybody i'm an american and so she's got this she every night she chooses one of the male prisoners and rapes him 
But then, of course, because she's so hot, they get off. Yeah. And that disappoints her. She's like, well, now he's done. He's worthless to me. And he castr- I- and she castrates them. And so she, she castrates them. But then the American prisoner gets chosen. Oh. And he spent some time learning the ways of love. Yes. When I was young, I learned that I had a very special gift. He, I'm not kidding. This is how the guy talks. <laughs> this, this is the dialogue. This is actual dialogue from the movie. I learned that I had a very special gift. I learned that I could withhold my own pleasure for as long as it took. All to, night, if necessary. All night, if necessary. And I'm like watching this going, yeah, really? That's You think that's us? Okay, sure. So, of course, she chooses him and he pleasures her and she can't make him ejaculate. And, and so, as a result, she keeps sending him back to the barracks fully intact downstairs. Yeah. Right. Because she can't I must beat him. I must him. defeat him. She can't yeah. castrate him until she has... As we, <laughs> some ejaculate. Some ejaculate. That's yeah. right. We we kind of figured out this was a thousand and one orgasms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a thousand and one Arabian nights. <laughs> and tomorrow I will come back and you can try to make me come. Yeah. Uh, it's really, this is a really terrible movie. It's, it's unforgivably bad. It's unforgivably yeah. just jerk off power fantasy well, with no good story. I mean. No good acting. In 1975, wall to wall boobs and bush. You would think I would like, like that. Absolute wall-to-wall boobs and bush. Like, I don't yeah. think w- two minutes back-to-back go by in this movie right. without naked women parts in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And then you, you sandwich on top of it torture porn. Yeah. And there's a lot of it. There's tons yes. of it going. There's they're, eye gouging. They're and cutting off toes. Cutting like, off of toes. There's just a person naked lying there, and their toes are nice and front and center in the scene, and yeah. somebody's mutilating them. There's blood and yeah. bits of viscera everywhere. Yeah, and uh, they're they're boiling women in uh, giant vats, and they're uh, hmm. you know so and some of these are kind of derivative of some of the experiments that we were just talking about right. in the Buchenwald section. You know, like uh, she uses she lights some phosphorus on fire and inserts it into one girl's vagina. Okay, uh, which they actually did at Buchenwald. Uh, they turn a bunch of the women into prostitutes mm-hmm. uh, for the right uh, for, for the brothel the, for the camp brothel as well as for uh, ca- other camp brothels. So, which actually happened. So, I mean, they borrow just enough to kind of give it this credence. Although, probably the disclaimer at the beginning of the movie saying, "I know this this like single frame that comes up claiming that uh, they are shining a spotlight on Nazi atrocities," might have that these things actually happened yeah. during the war. We hope might. that by portraying these, <laughs> such things will never happen again. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, uh, not much of this actually happened. Like they kind of allude to things that actually right. happened. Well, even but. so, the way it's shot and presented, you obviously want this to happen again in your bedroom, in your mind, in eye. your mind's eye. Mm. Like there. So, some interesting stuff. The film was shot on the set uh, of the TV series Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Whoa. And if you've watched <laughs> Hogan's Heroes, you totally you're like, oh my god, that's Dalek oh, Thirteen. It's, yes. Yeah. They actually line up in front of uh, you know whatever the the exact number same spot, is. the exact same angle, the exact same setup as the the lineup in Hogan's it, Heroes the, when they do roll call in Hogan's Heroes. Oh, they got okay. all these like you know naked, beaten women standing in front. So of the here's the really spot. interesting thing: Hogan's Heroes had already been canceled, and the show's producers decided to allow the movie to be filmed there once they learned that there was a scene that called for it to be burned down because Ooh. that would save them demolition costs. Oh. It was They're, a win-win. Yeah. I, I've got some uh, uh, some bloopers 
okay. on the uh, for Ilsa She Wolf of the SS. Uh, Ilsa is referred to multiple times as holding the rank of major, but her collar insignias are that of a lieutenant colonel. Oh, how that makes it a terrible movie. Uh, the German machine gun used in the film is, in fact, the U.S. 50 caliber Browning. Yeah, you probably wouldn't find a whole heck of a lot of Nazi camps using U.S. firearms. Uh, and uh, the Grindhouse 2007 Grindhouse film, one of the one of the fake trailers is an homage to Nazi exploitation. Rob Zombie's fake trailer, Werewolf Women of the SS. Oh. Kind of is a, almost a direct reference to Ilsa She-Wolf. Okay, of the right, SS. yeah. Uh, and this, this movie spawned four sequels, which again, not, not real sequels yeah. because- I checked like all four of the movies. Well, she that dies at the end this. of the first one. Spoiler alert. Yes. Yeah. And the four other movies that the Ilsa movies that came out all have different production companies. So I'm guessing they were less official sequels and more like just ripoff jobs. All right. Like, well, they, they all oh. starred uh, Diane Diane Thorne. Yeah. She had a little. The, the actress had a little cottage industry going on <laughs> yeah. with all the Ilsa movies. But uh, I don't think necessarily that any of the other movies were that the original makers of Ilsa, She of the SS, profited from it. Why don't we read out the titles? Because you can kind of guess how different they are from the original. Yeah. Uh, the first, quote-unquote, sequel is Ilsa, Harem Keeper of the Oil Sheiks. <laughs> In which she is still a Nazi uh, commandant, but somehow escapes to Arabia. Uh-huh. Uh, the next one is, uh, in English, is called The Wicked Warden, but it was actually produced in Germany. And it's got a, the German title is an Ilsa something or other. Uh, the third one is Ilsa Tigress of Siberia. And uh, according to IMDb, this one was ghost produced by Roger Corman and Ivan Reitman. Oh. In 1976. They're uncredited producers on the film. Uh, and this one was shot in Canada. And uh, the... Uh, th- so those are the four official Ilsa movies, if you count the first one. And in 1981, there was a porno version called Prisoner of Paradise, starring John Holmes. Oh, Prisoner of Paradise. And not Diane Thorne. And not Diane Thorne. Okay. Correct. Diane Thorne has gone on to, with her husband, who was apparently an actor in some of these films, to create the A Scenic Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas. Oh. AscenicWedding.com. If you're looking for an alternative to a traditional wedding chapel, consider Nature's Outdoor Cathedral. Will she dress up in her SS gear? Oh. (laughs) You know, I'm sure that there's a price where that would happen. Lesser of two evils. Now, obviously, from this one, it's going to be being held in Buchenwald concentration camp, having your penis whacked by uh, Ilsa Coke every couple of days, and then eventually... Killed and skinned for your souvenir flesh. Okay. Are they going to hang me on a hook before that? Like, how, how am I going to be killed? That's the important part. Because well, what happens after I'm dead with my skin, I don't really care about. Uh, even if she's walking around with gloves, you know, the... the, uh, the it's the anticipation of being skinned. That's the, <laughs> that's the unpleasant part. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, this, this, this you know... SS officer would actually get to enjoy like a, a skin gloves and a lampshade with you made out of your skin, the handbag potentially made out of your skin. The, and the, just like, you know. The, the, the Right now, you can know that that will happen. So now it will bother right, you. Okay. Even yeah. though when it happens, it won't bother you. Yes, exactly. What's the, what's the alternative? Uh, I'm thinking 
callback to our Urban Fires episode. Right. The Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. Uh-huh. Which all these seamstresses were caught on the 10th story of that building and had to jump to their deaths. Right. The fire was was blazing and none of the firefighters could reach up to the floor that they were at and they just eventually just jumped out. And the fire escape was nailed shut and it, it and- opened inwards. And once they got on the on the actual staircase, the fire escape staircase, it just collapsed under their weight. That's right. Yeah. So that sucks. So uh, what do you think? Wow. So so, so I'm it, not being skinned alive. No, your your skin is merely being collected post mortem for. I'm being let's say souvenir. Purposes. Am I being strangled to death on one of those hooks? Is that my method of death? Uh, or or yeah, I, I, well, you certainly wouldn't be torn apart by the bear that would ruin your skin. So. Uh, well, yeah, we're Although, gonna go with strangled on a hook. Do I have the option of running into an electric fence? Uh, it's not an electric fence; it's a barbed wire fence, and then they shoot you. Oh well, well, in this one, it was an electric fence. It was oh, electric, was it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right, but good times. Uh, yeah, I guess you could throw yourself on the electric fence and be shot instead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the thing: the first thing I remembered reading that she would make them do is stand out in the freezing cold, naked for hours on end. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not. There's no way I'm putting up with that. There's no way. So you're running into I, the I hate cold. Uh, well, I would, except I, I think that the fire would just be over with quicker. Like even, oh, it even definitely the, would be over even with Even the quicker. running and then getting onto the fire escape and then having it collapse underneath me and I fall to my death. At least then I, I have like an exciting running, trying to fight for my life, get to a place and then fail and then die. Well, if we remember actually what our guest expert, Alan Newell, said about hmm. the Triangle Shirt Waste Fire, he did say that odds are that these women would go to the window to yell for help. Mm-hmm. And the actual outrushing air and the hot air and the blistering of your skin and your hair going up in flames right. would actually push them out the window. Oh, even better. So it'd be as if you're being flung out the window while on fire. Right. Yeah, or it might, I think, I'm not sure if you meant like being, it would physically push you out. I think he did mean sense. it would physically push you out. I interpreted that as like, you, it just hurts so much, the fire. Right. But it's not a conscious decision. You just get away from it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, your if body dead. just goes get you out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you are blistering. It's like you can't hold your hand against an element. I guess what yeah. I'm saying it's is... A, it's automatically will pull but back. But it's, you know, you're in, you're in agonizing, yes. agonizing yeah. pain. I will usually take hot over cold, I think is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, but, okay. Uh, that, like hot for five minutes, blazing hot for five minutes. As, as, as opposed to, like to cold hours. For, for hours. Yeah, but totally. when, when you get cold for more than like... 20 minutes you kind of just you go you sort of go into that zen like pre-hypothermic state right? you do i don't <laughs> i i look i admit you it, I'm get, a, cold I makes a, you numb right I, i'm a massive wuss about cold i hate it i hate cold why do i live in canada i love this country but i hate how fucking cold it gets mm-hmm. well here's the question i have then all right do i have the option of getting a tattoo before i get skinned sure yeah 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 yeah, absolutely. And I, and I choose my own tattoo? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, not sure. an SS-mandated tattoo? No, you can get a no. prison tattoo. You could get your, okay. your woman with butterfly wings, like the one souvenir right. that Ilsa kept. Okay. So that's a plus. Right. I right. mean, except that you probably get the tattoo in Buchenwald, so it'd probably be like prison style. Right. Sure. Right? And their the, the, the tattoo technology <laughs> in 1942 was yeah, not particularly good. Yeah, I guess that would hurt good. as well. That, 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 yeah. that, would, that maybe is not a plus. That would almost make it worse, <laughs> right? Unless I get a tattoo Ooh. of my face. Although, if you get a tattoo. If I get a tattoo of my face, then my face will be on the purse. That's what I was about to say. So, and then I'm like immortalized. <clears throat> you can live on. Yeah. That's, so that's definitely a plus. Just get a tattoo of the word fake. 
And then she'll be carrying this around didn't this happen. She'll be carrying around this person. People are like, yeah, right, sure. Yeah, she's contemplating tattooing Gucci on you right before they skin you. Hmm. Uh, well, you know, there's something to be said about that. I'm gonna lean. I'm leaning heavily towards uh, being in Buchenwald concentration camp. Because, because you could have sex with the she-devil, the witch of Wuken, now, Buchenwald. Unlike a, a, you, uh, unlike an American Jewish it, prosecutor, I think I would get shrinky-dink if I tried to have sex with a horrible <laughs> Nazi war criminal. That's not what the Holocaust deniers think. <laughs> yeah, they, they think, think it's a privilege. Boon. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I would be able to have sex with this woman who's whacking my penis with a stick. Well, then she would hit it harder. I, here's, <laughs> <laughs> Until it just swells up. This, yeah. this normally works. Quack, quack, quack. Uh, I think I'm going with the concentration camp because they got a movie theater. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's Triumph the Will, seven days a week. And for a mere 20 (laughs) fennig, I can get in out of the cold. And if if the eventual payoff is being strangled on a hook and then skinned afterwards, well, then so be it. At least I'll get a couple of years of, uh, you know, prime Nazi propaganda under my belt. And you're not a very good seamstress, so you wouldn't do well in the triangle shirtwaist. Oh yeah, I would have like I'd, I'd be it'd be nothing but five five thimbles on each hand. <laughs> and then suddenly you're in like a Terry Gilliam film. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure I'd get like my pay docked because I'd like a constant blood stains on all the do- garments that I was making. My shirtwaist would be more like shirt tuck-ins. You know, I, I, I'm I enamored by the idea of having my face <laughs> on a lampshade or something like that. <laughs> but I don't know if I could endure, like, however many... We don't know how many years yeah. I'm spending in the camp before that happens. No, I mean, because you don't know when you're in a concentration camp. I mean, it could be... You could be there for five years Whereas or for five months. Whereas in the waste fire, I'm working. Mm. By the end of the day, I'm dead. Uh, we must point out that the average life expectancy of a Buchenwald prisoner was three months. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. And I'm... I'm a bit of a wuss. Yeah, and you're you're way below average yeah. in a lot of ways. Although I could finally lose that weight I've been... <laughs> I've been dreaming about. <laughs> that extra weight. Yeah, no, you need to get a full... Instead of just your face, you get a full body tattoo of yourself on your body. Oh, yeah. So Because how dashing you look in the mirror right before oh, you get flayed. Joe, did you make a decision? I did. And yours was the he's fire. Mine's the yeah, fire. Because he, he's it's and you're warm. going concentration camp. Oh, for the you're movies. Going yeah. for the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this decision. It's too hard. <laughs> I, I can't and not imagine standing there and like actually feeling my flesh blister and peel. And my only alternative is to go out a 10 story window knowing that I'm falling to certain death. Because at least in the concentration camp, you know. And you get to build your own prison. I like how you couldn't you couldn't really end that. You're like, well, at least in the concentration camp. Oh, wait a minute, concentration camp. <laughs> I mean, maybe you would have this like, say vague here? hope that you would actually be liberated by allies, even though you know. I'm gonna go with uh, the concentration camp because I always have the option of just running into the electric fence. You got you have you have a way out. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. People, two thirds of caustic soda would rather experience Nazis than a fire. I would think you would go the other way because you're always saying, at least I can reason with a person. You can't reason can't, with a fire. You can't yeah. reason with Nazis. <laughs> you just put on a Nazi uniform. <laughs> Sign me up. Do they have those in, in prison camps that they I can might. just find lying around? Oh, if oh look Jones at this. has told me anything. You just punch him in the back of the neck and then put on his uniform. 
It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back. When the week is new, and we'll have more gross facts for you, and you'll have things you'll want to hear about, we will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while struggling in a crocodile death roll. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening.